Luke chapter 1. If you're a guest with us today, this is what we typically do, gather together, sing together, and then open the Bible and take the sermon. It'll be a lot like a Bible study today. If you've never been here, we read the Bible, and then the sermon must come from the Bible. That's what we hope to do every Sunday morning. You, you'll, you'll see it as you go along, but you want to keep your Bible open. If you didn't bring one, there's one in front of you in a pew rack. Glad for you to have that Bible. Why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Luke chapter 1, let's start in verse 26 and read down to verse 38. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of whose house, who, who was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father in heaven, we pray in the name of Jesus that you help us. God, I pray that you would intervene. There are men and women that have walked in and because of what's happened this week, don't believe that nothing is impossible. God, would you restore their faith today? Would you call people to rejoice in the Lord Jesus? Now, Father, make it so that everything I say will be an accurate reflection of what your word says. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, that's what the angel Gabriel, we saw it just now in verse 37. That's what the angel Gabriel says to a young girl named Mary who has just received word that she's going to become pregnant with a king. What a story. 
has all the makings of a scandal just as we've, as we've read it. What a story, what a season. Labeled it Advent, Advent this Sunday, next Sunday, the following Sunday, we'll spend our time in Luke's description of the coming Lord Jesus. Advent literally means the coming one, the one that is coming. The coming of our hopes, the coming of our deliverance, the coming, the coming of our deliverance from this depressing, suffering, sinful, hateful world. This confusing world. This is our hope. That's what the creed, that's what the creed says. That we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. He has ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Now, all of that is in the future. Here is the beginning. Let's go back. Let's go back to the story and watch it unfold See in our passage, look at the foundation of our hope, look at the root of our joy, look at the astounding story of redemption that is found only in the Lord Jesus. Today, I want to convince you that the coming of Christ is the start of real life. Today, I want to convince you that the coming of the Lord Jesus will be the beginning of your life. So, so let me do it like this. Let's just walk through the passage. This is a narrative. It is a story. And today I'm just going to serve as a tour guide. Keep the Bible open. I want you to see it for yourself in your own copy of the Bible. And I'm just going to walk by and point out several things that I think might be helpful as we go through the story. Here's the first one. Number one, we have a miracle to rejoice in. The great joy of being a Christian is that we have a miracle that we rejoice in. Let's see how it picks up in verse 26. Notice how the text opens. He opens up talking about six, the sixth month. In the sixth month, Gabriel, who we hadn't heard from since the book of Daniel, it's been 400 years since there's been any word from heaven. God hasn't spoken. And all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up in Luke chapter 1. Earlier in the chapter, Gabriel has gone to visit a really elderly couple, Elizabeth. Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, they, they haven't had any children. And Gabriel visits and says, you're going to be pregnant. And she can't believe it, neither can he. And in the sixth month of that miraculous pregnancy, Gabriel now goes to visit Mary. Isn't it interesting that that Mary, so young, so young, Mary has been betrothed to a man, we'll find out. The engagement was set up by her parents. It was very early. Kids were still young, and it was the promise of the future. It was a law that couldn't be broken. She was engaged, so to speak, but a much harder, faster engagement. 
such a young girl. While on the other hand, you've got Elizabeth and you've got Zechariah who are so old. Isn't it interesting that God works in young and old? That a congregation should be made up of people of all ages? When I was coming through uh, much younger, speaking of being old, much younger, uh, when I was a young preacher, the prevailing philosophy was that you could reach people. If you're a preacher, your church will probably have people that are either 10 years older than you or 10 years younger than you. And you can't reach anybody beyond that. And that, that's why you see a lot of preachers uh, that are 55 years old dressing like they're 30. Man, get, get out of those skinny jeans. You do not belong in those skinny jeans. What a great picture, what a great picture of how God works on the one end of the spectrum and then the other end of the spectrum. Gab, uh, Gabriel now comes and he speaks to Mary and notice the greeting that he gives her. Notice the greeting. Look, before you get to the greeting, just look how Luke, now Luke has written this for his friend Theophilus. This is written to convince a Greek man named Theophilus that he should come to Christ. That's why the book of Luke is, is written. You just read it in the first chapter. And notice how he just brings everything down in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. So from heaven, sent from God, he comes down to a city named Galilee, didn't go over to Jerusalem, the city of God, this place called Galilee, to a village called Nazareth, to this unknown teenage girl. Her name is Mary. Get to the very end of the verse. Here is God coming to this unnamed place. People don't go to visit where the pavement runs off into a dirt road. Young girl living out there with her family. And the angel comes to her. I mean, you heard it in the Gospels. Did anything good ever come out of Nazareth? Luke has set it up so that we see the God, the God of the Bible is a God of grace. The God of the Bible reaches to people. Notice the greeting then. Let's go to the greeting in verse 28. <clears throat> and he came to her in verse 28 and he said, Greetings, old favored one. If you're reading that in Greek, it would say, rejoice. Now, she's getting ready to get some news that would not make her rejoice, and yet he knows, Gabriel is an insider. He knows what's going on. He's already talked about John the Baptist. That's who Elizabeth is pregnant with. Already talked to John the Baptist's mother. He knows the developing plan of redemption. And he comes to Mary and says, rejoice. It's why she's so puzzled. She's like, what is this greeting? Rejoice. And then he says, rejoice, verse 28. Rejoice, O favored one. You full of grace is the old translation, which has led uh, to many doctrinal problems, being full of grace. The understanding uh, oftentimes with the Catholic Church is that Mary, in fact, it goes all the way to the Immaculate Conception, that Mary is without sin. We get it out of this. And it really... It, it, I think that's where you come off the rails because this is not saying that God chose Mary because she is so good. No. God doesn't search out grace. God brings the grace. God doesn't reward good people. God takes bad people and makes them good. 
Now, Mary's a noble woman. There's no doubt about it. But God brought the grace. So you have joy, rejoice, grace. And look what else he says. The Lord, verse 28, the Lord is with you. Now, she's going to need that promise because scandal is getting ready to descend in her life. Rejoice, grace, the Lord is, this is the same thing that the angel of God said to Gideon, remember Gideon, uh, threshing wheat in the wine press. He was a judge, but he wasn't much of a man, and God came and infused him with power and said, the Lord is with you. Brothers and sisters, I want you to just pull this out. What do we know about the advent? We have, we have a miracle to rejoice in. I want you to know the joy of the Lord is your strength that the grace of God is real, it's found in Jesus, and you are in Christ, the Lord is with you. Amen. Let's have faith in this miracle. Let me give you something else to notice. Not just that we have a miracle to rejoice in, notice also that we have a person to believe in. Person to believe in. So where I want to take you now is down to verse 31. We got past her being greatly troubled. It's going to get worse. Down to verse 31. The angel has said, don't be afraid. In verse 30, you found favor again, he says that. Verse 31, verse 32, and verse 33. I want you to circle those because they're all about Christ. And packed into those three verses, verse 31, verse 32, and verse 33, you have, in breathtaking brevity, the angel Gabriel is going to give the entire ministry of the Lord Jesus. You have to just follow along. He's going to talk about Jesus and his saving work. He's going to talk about the righteousness of Jesus. He's going to talk about the deity of Jesus. Even, you, you can even get the crucifixion out of this, the resurrection, the ascension, the second coming. Let's go through, let's go through the description of Mary's baby. Join me there in verse 31. Gabriel tells her, you will call his name Jesus. Do you see that? Jesus. Jesus would be a common name in that day and time. It's exactly the same as the Hebrew name Joshua. That's why when you preach the book of Joshua, you can draw a straight line from Joshua to Jesus. Joshua is a type of Jesus. The name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. Matthew will tell us when he gives us his account. Matthew says the reason that Jesus gets that name is that he will save his people from their sins. Just in the very name of Jesus, there you find the hope of the gospel. What is the gospel? Let me give it to you clearly. In a, an abbreviated form, God is holy, the holy creator who created all of us in his image. You have dignity because you were created in the image of God. However, that dignity, the image of God in you, has been disfigured because of sin. Your own sin. Sin is a crime against God, and God being fully just, he must punish crime. So the wrath of God rests on every person that's ever sinned. That's all of us. That's why we can say nobody is saved by good works. We're all sinners. It's separated from God. We are not just far away from God. We are separated. In fact, Paul says we are dead in sin and we need reviving. God's good grace is showing up here in Luke chapter 1. God is 
sending, sent the angel, and he's giving Jesus. You see, Jesus comes to the earth, lives perfectly, dies on the cross to take the wrath of God away. God raised him from the dead to declare victory. And for any person, here's how you appropriate it for yourself. This is how it becomes yours. This is the way you become a Christian. You turn from your sin and you believe that Jesus died for you. You see, we have a person to believe in. Not, not just a leader or teacher, not someone we think was a really wonderful. We have a person, Jesus. Have you, have you believed in Jesus? Have you trusted Christ alone to save you? Does your life reflect that Jesus Christ is Lord? We see his name there, but let's keep pressing forward in verse 32. The angel not only says to name him Jesus, the angel says that he will be great. Do you see that? What a great description. That he will be great. He's in contrast to the rest of us. We are not great. He is great. Great how? Great in his being, great in his nature, great in his work, great, great in his love, great in his power to save you, great in his power to forgive sin, great in, in his power to change. You don't change yourself. God changes you. You yield Great in his power to restore your heart, to heal you. The Bible says that, that this Jesus is, is the heir of all things. John chapter 1 says that through him everything was created. Paul says that everything is upheld by the word of his power. Verse 32 tells us not just Jesus, but he will be great. Keep pressing it. Verse 32, notice what the text says. That the, the angel tells Mary, this baby you're going to have will be the son of the Most High. It's interesting the way we have that. Remember, Luke is writing this for Theophilus. You can read it back in chapter 1. He's writing it as an argument, as a, a way to convince him you should put your faith in Jesus. And he reminds, you may have the pantheon of Greek gods, but we have the Most High God. Not only that, this one coming will be the son of the most high. Here is the declared deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God of very God, that he is the most high God, that Jesus is the saving second person of the Trinity. Down in verse 35, uh, we find out he is, he is the son of God. He is holy. Look, this is... This is partly what separates us from other world religions of the book. There are basically three world religions of a book. There's Judaism, there's Islam, and there's Christianity. What separates us from those three, there are other things that separate, but what, what is the major separation in Judaism, they would say that Jesus is not the Messiah. That he came, they're still waiting on a Messiah. Islam would recognize Jesus as a prophet, a good prophet. Christianity says 
There's something beyond that. That here is one who is fully God. That Jesus is God. In Luke chapter, in Luke chapter 8, when the demons were being cast out by Jesus and what they said to Jesus was, why have you come to torment us before the time, son of the most high? Keep pressing, verse 32. Look what else the angel says about Jesus. <clears throat> that the Lord, verse 32, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. The Lord will give him the throne of the Davidic line. If you know the Bible, the Old Testament, here is here is a declaration that Jesus Christ is the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament longings. That Jesus Christ comes into this world, even as an infant, he is ruler and king. Look, poor, poor Kanye West. His life has gone off the rails, but he got one thing right. Jesus is king. Have you, have you, have you bowed at the throne King Jesus. Have you pledged your life and your resources and your hopes and your heart to Jesus the King? Have you given yourself over to the King that died for you? That the King that, the king that died for you and was rose, rose from the dead? Look, all of us sitting here, every one of us serve in the court some king. You might be serving yourself. You, you may have made it. You've been hurt in life so many times, and now you're making sure you're looking out for number one. You're serving your own interest. Or maybe you really are ambitious and it's gotten a hold of you. You're trying to make as much money as you possibly can. You'll do whatever it takes to, to get a good job and make a lot of money, and that's the king you're serving. Or maybe with the world we live in, it has been so sexualized that has become where you've, you didn't mean to serve that king, but that's what you've fallen into or, or maybe some cause, you've, you've attached yourself to some cause, and that's what you're serving. Oftentimes when it's something good to have kids and you give, give yourself to your kids, but you end up putting them on such a pedestal, that's where you worship. Brothers and sisters, we have a good King Jesus. Keep pressing now. I think we got all we can out of verse 32. Let's go to verse 33. Notice that his rule is eternal. Listen to the language in verse 33. Join me there. <clears throat> verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Several things to see. Reign over the house of Jacob, he'll do it forever. His kingdom has no end. Let's, let's talk about Jacob. Luke has reached all the way back into the Bible, and Gabriel says from the very beginning, Jacob, who wrestled with God, remember that story in Genesis? And his name was changed to Israel, and Israel became the people of God, the chosen people of God. Now Jesus will reign over the chosen people of God, and his reign, in this text, verse 33, lasts forever, for eternity. We deal in the currency of eternity. Today when church is over, after we do our new member commissioning at the end of our service, you'll see me. I'll walk right out that door over there and uh, there's a truck waiting on me. Go to the airport, get on an airplane, fly to Mobile, Alabama to preach a funeral tomorrow morning. 
preach a funeral for a lady that uh, died suddenly and tragically, leaves an only child. She's 24 years old and lost now without her mother. It's just her and her father. And it's, it's, a, it's a tragic, terrible situation to walk into, but I can do so with hope because she, this woman I'm going to preach a funeral for tomorrow, she put her faith in the eternal king. See, the sovereign king. Have you put your faith in this king? He's a sovereign king in the details of your life. God is working out the details of your life for his glory and for your good. He's working in the details. Look, don't say that the devil's in the details. The devil ain't in the details. Jesus is in the details. We have a miracle to rejoice in. We have, we have a person to believe in. Let's keep pushing on it. Let me give you a third thing to consider. We have a theology to hold on to. A theology to hold on to. We have something deep and rich, something textured, something that is filled with, with surprise and complexities. And there's a lot of theology in this passage. Let's go to it. Verse 34, 35, and 36. <clears throat> Let's walk through this. See the imagery. See the imagery and rejoice. Now, you're going to see some theology that I'm not going to point out. There's so much there for you to, to rejoice in. Here, here are two things to see, just two. Here you have a beautiful description of the incarnation, God becoming man. Here you have a picture of the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit involved in the incarnation. Here's the, here's the very genesis, the very beginning of why we can claim to be God's people. So verse 34, here's how it starts. Verse 34 is a legitimate question. Gabriel has said, you're going to be pregnant and the child you're carrying will become a king. He described all of that and Mary had no interest in all the descriptions of Jesus. Her question is, how is this going to happen? Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be? I'm a young woman. I'm, I'm engaged to a man. Mom and dad set it up. It's legally binding. One day I'll marry him and be with him. But, but and listen to the, the answer. The beautiful delicacy of the power of God, verse 35. Join me there. The angel answered her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High, so now you've got God the Father, God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, now God the Son. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. You see that phrase? Just, just narrow down on that one word, overshadow. Overshadow. 
It's the exact same phraseology used to describe the presence of God in the tabernacle in the wilderness when God would fill the tabernacle with his holy presence. It's the exact same wording used to describe the way Jesus changed at the transfiguration and what the apostles saw. Here is the purity. Here's the power of God to, to, to show the absolute uniqueness of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Here's the miracle of Here's the miracle of the incarnation. This is where Christmas is, right here. Here's the miracle of the incarnation. He explains that to her in verse 35, and then in verse 36, and notice what he says. In just in case you don't believe me, verse 36, already, there's already been one miracle. Verse 36, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. Already one miracle. Remember, old and young. But don't think it's like that. This is something different. Here is, come in and think. Here's a description of the two natures of Christ. Human and divine. Divine being all God and human being all man yet without sin. He is, put them together, the God-man. Jesus had to be all God to be fully righteous and keep the law. It's the only way it could happen. He had to be all man because he would do that in the place of mankind and die as a substitute on the cross in the place of man. Telling us that there is only one mediator between God and us, it is the man Christ Jesus. You know, it's, this makes grace. I love the word grace. This makes grace that much more stunning. When you go to the crucifixion and think that the God-man would die on your behalf, that the God-man would suffer and take your sin, that God would raise him from the dead, and you could be forgiven and saved and brought near and adopted because Jesus did that for you. Brothers and sisters, we have a theology to hold on to. We are people of the book, and that theology serves as ballast in the bottom of our boat. It keeps us balanced. It keeps us moving forward in a world that has actually forgotten truth. I mean, this whole book gives us the story, the, the narrative of, of creation, God's creation, and then the fall of mankind and the sin, and then redemption of Jesus who comes to purchase his bride, that is us, and then restoration, consummation. It's the story of the Bible. But it begins with Jesus begins here. You understand that um, we have a miracle to rejoice in. We have a person to believe in. We have a, a theology to hold on to. I want to take you to verse 37 circle it. We have, number four, we have an assurance, an assurance to stand on. An assurance. Do you see that verse? I quoted it 
It's the very title of this message, Nothing is Impossible with God. This is the reason we keep praying. Now, in the context, what the angel is doing, the angel is assuring Mary of the veracity of what he's just told her. She just had a whole, whole lot of stuff dumped on her. And it seems impossible to her. And he's assuring her there is nothing, verse 37, that is impossible with God. What does this mean for us? Pull it here to your life. What does this mean? This means that there is no, there is no sin too heinous and bad that the blood of Jesus won't cleanse you. You need to claim the gospel as your own. There is no heart that is too wicked that can't be changed. You need to keep praying. Because the heart of stone can be turned to, into a heart of flesh. There is no trial, you think there is, there is no trial too hard that a Christian man or woman can endure that. You see, the grace of God is always sufficient. Look, our, our faith never rests so, our faith never rests so calmly and peacefully as it does when it lays its head down on the pillow of God's omnipotence. God can do it. I want you to, I want you to pick a couple of things. Write down in your life right now. Maybe write them down in your notebook. Get them in your heart. Three things that seem impossible you need God to move in. Three. What are they? Just write them down. Maybe they're people. Maybe you want to put three, three people you're thinking of that you have just sort of given up hope. He's not ever going to. He's too far gone. Write that person's name down and say to yourself, read this word, nothing is impossible with God. Or, or maybe there's something you've been wrestling with, there's a change, you know that it's blocking you, it's keeping you. It's a sin, it's what we used to call besetting sin, and you can't shake it. I want you to write that down. Take this verse. We, we, we have an assurance, you see. This is what gives us hope. We have an assurance to stand on. And I'll end it right here with Mary, verse 38, so remarkable. I'll just end it with this last point. There is only one response to give. Think about the extreme faith, the maturity of this young woman. She's just been approached by Gabriel, sent from heaven by God with a message, you're going to be pregnant and give birth to a king. the scandal that's coming her way. And look what she says. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Whatever he does, whatever happens, however this is going to be received, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Gabriel's job is done. Do you see yourself like that? Do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Are you a servant of the Lord? 
Would you be right now willing to say, just in your heart to the Lord, if it will honor God, I will do it. You see, the coming of Christ is the start of real life. And that life can start today. As we pray together, I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads and, and think with me. <clears throat> just think with me. You answer, the, you answer the questions in your heart. Is Jesus Christ Lord? Is Jesus Christ your Lord? What is it that needs to change? What needs to change? What needs to stop happening? What needs to start happening? What needs to change in your life that your life reflects Jesus is Lord? What is the sin? Think, think about you now, you. What sin in your life right now needs to be forsaken? You've been trying to ignore it and act like it's not a sin. Maybe you've been living with around folks that really have accepted how you're living. And I'm just, I'm just asking you before God, this is between you and the Lord, what sin needs to be forsaken? When I was going through this, I preparing, I got convicted, thought of somebody I needed to contact. Who, who do you need to contact? What do you need to repent of, to turn, turn away from? We're going to sing one more song. It's a great time to sing to the Lord with great enthusiasm and joy. I would invite you to come and pray. Someone you want to pray for, something to pray about. Of course, our pastors are here, and they're always in the lobby after church. And especially for those of you that, for the first time, the lights come on about the gospel and how to be a Christian. Today's a good day to have that conversation. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you find us faithful, that you use us for your glory. Lord, help your people here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing together?